Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, finally, finally. And the reason why I'm doing this is because Cameron worked really hard to cut this audio and have it prepared. And as of tomorrow, it'll be a week old. So I want to make sure we get to this. And hey, it's always an appropriate time to talk Longhorn football. So this is Steve Sarkeesian last Wednesday at the Touchdown Club of Houston lunch. And this is not audio from the lunch, and this is the press conference he had before the lunch. And, and we'll start with this, you know, with the Michigan game getting changed. And we know, Craig, I, I saw somebody saying, well, didn't this was already announced. No, this was widely assumed that the game was going to be moved to Texas playing in Ann Arbor in 2024 most likely to appease Fox for the lost revenue, which yeah. also makes sense because in back-to-back years, Texas will go to Ann Arbor and Columbus. And then, I don't know, probably at that point be done with having to deal with Fox. And, and by the way, plan on those being big noon kickoffs unless things change. I would love a, a night game at the big house, but sounds like we'll get a kegs and eggs on that day, Craig, most likely. Yeah, yeah, but, I think you're probably right. But, you know, you look at the rest of the non-conference series Texas has scheduled, Georgia's one of them, which uh, starting next year, that won't be a, con- a non-conference game. Florida, starting next year, that won't be a non-conference game either. So Sark was asked, based on the news about the Michigan series getting changed, his opinion on non-conference scheduling and what that might look like as Texas goes into the SEC. Well, I think, I think there's a lot of value to having big non-conference games. Um, you know, obviously we, we had Alabama last year at home. We're going to Alabama this year in 23. I think we go to Michigan in 24. We go to Ohio State in 25. And then Ohio State comes back in 26. Michigan comes back in 27. Uh, in the end, you know, I think as you go through training camp, you, you know, everybody has their sights on your conference play and what that looks like. But I also think you have to prepare yourself for what that's going to look like. And, and having those big non-conference games early in the season sometimes serve you really well in about week three of training camp when it feels like, man, we're just beating the heck out of each other and the season seems so far down the road. But now when you have that, that big game kind of early in your season, man, that can serve as a tool to keep guys motivated and, and, and the co- coaches can use that tool and you can start to game plan a little bit to break up some of the monotony and you find out about your team you find out about you know how guys respond against a really quality opponent how they respond going into some some hostile environments uh and where your team needs to grow up and you don't have to suffer uh if you don't play well and you happen to lose that game it doesn't have to be catastrophic from a conference standing perspective and i think more importantly now than ever with us going to you know as moving forward to 12 a 12 team you know college football playoff off one loss in a non-conference game isn't going to feel as catastrophic because I think you're going to see multiple lost teams in that playoff I mean just look at the last decade and and take one through 12 in the rankings how many losses did team 12 have or team 11 or team 10 you're, you're looking at some three lost teams that are going to be in the playoffs so now it serves you to go play a quality non-conference opponent knowing you if you don't win 
you could withstand it. If you do win, man, that gains a lot of momentum and confidence for your team moving forward. I go back and forth on this, Craig, when you talk about a quality non-conference opponent. And I really think, you know, for CDC, and I know Sark has some input on this, but ultimately, you know, there are people in the athletic department that are going to do the schedules. I think you almost have to go back to that Mac Brown model. When the Big 12 had a – you played nine conference games, and mm-hmm. Matt, I just loved Mac's philosophy of your non-conference – your three non-conference games should be – one should be – the game where you kind of roll the ball out and you know what's going to happen. Which is usually the opener. Yeah, you, you, you're tune-up. Uh, your second game should be a, 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 a preferably an in-state opponent, but like what now would be a group of five opponent that's going to push you a little bit. you, you got to show up. you got to put in some effort. And then your third game is uh, a power five opponent that mm-hmm. should really get you ready for conference play. As far as that game goes, there's some really intriguing options. So the SEC schools are obviously off the table when Texas joins that league. But I think about, you know, would Texas, would they rather schedule a Texas Tech, a Baylor, a TCU for that game? Or would they like to go maybe to the Big Ten or the ACC and get some matchups that we haven't seen in a while or ever? Like, would you like to do maybe a home-and-home with Nebraska? Get that thing maybe going for a couple of years. The one that I I would love, Craig, absolutely 100% because they've never played each other. I want a Texas-Florida State home-and-home. I'd be good with that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think that'd be fun. I don't don't think that – and also, I've heard coaches say this. I heard Max say it one time, but I've heard lots of coaches say this, that the non-conference game has to be won in a number of areas. That benefits your program, mm-hmm. a number of areas. And you say, well, you know, how does playing UTSA or whatever, UTEP or Texas State or whatever, benefit the program? That's an in-state thing. And so there's... Within the system, too. Yeah, yeah, in the case of UTSA and UTEP, for sure. So so that that benefits in that respect. Um, you know, there's... And maybe a competitive thing, that sort of stuff. But... I, I like the thought of intersectional matchups. I think the, the Michigan thing's really cool, and Ohio yep. State is really cool, and obviously Alabama is, even though they're about to be a conference opponents. Right. And, uh, you know, some of those other ones like that. Um, I don't know that – what's the best way to put this? Second-tier Power 5 non-conference games are that helpful. Right. Nebraska would fall into that category for me. Uh, Florida, when, when Texas played North Carolina, yeah, but except that Carolina was still, you know, pretty good and reasonable at the time, uh, you know, and and that was part of the old, you know, John McAvick made that schedule. At, would back would UCLA be a better example, maybe where UCLA was at the time? Yes. Okay. Yes, there it is. Obviously, USC with with what Lincoln Riley's doing with the program now, that's a different issue, and uh, you have the the graded, but um, like when they played Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, and, and like I said, I'd put Nebraska in that category. I'd, I'd, I'd put Colorado in that category at this point. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's just there's just some Stanford at the time. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's okay. I see where you're. If you played with. Northwestern yeah. or or uh, uh, sorry, Bucky, Boston College. I mean, if you there's some that just that aren't going to carry the cachet. If you're going to play a Power 5 school, you need to play a Power 5 school. Right. Um, I, I like the Florida State thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by that. Uh, you know, Clemson would be one. Yep. That, that yep. Uh, have, they ever, have they ever played each other, Texas and Clemson? Nope. Okay. All the more reason for it to mm-hmm. happen. Um, 
I'm thinking like you go to the Big Ten, like Texas. It's been a while since Texas has played Penn State. That would be good. Even Michigan State would be good. Yeah, off of that. But they're getting ready, of course, to play Michigan. You know, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Texas is always mm-hmm. going to be attractive for eyeballs. We talk about Big Ten teams. You'd have to talk about USC at that point. Yes, you know. And and let me say this with regard to the West Coast. Uh, one of my best friends on the planet is a huge avowed Oregon State grad and all that. That wouldn't benefit Texas that much to play Oregon State. Played them in that bowl game, obviously. Yeah. Oregon, different issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you could even make that case with Washington as well with the, with the profile with Washington State. Not so much. Right. So I, I think it depends. Cal, like a few years ago, of course, the, the program was at a lower ebb here at the time mm-hmm. when that was set up. So. I mean, in theory, Maryland, but we know what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you see what happened in with theory, that. In theory, Maryland. Yeah, that's, that's the theory. Somebody said just put that in there on the deal. <laughs> so I understand that, you know. Okay. Somebody said, anybody ever, did they ever have a home-and-home home against Clemson? They did not. So, uh, big, so there there are some really intriguing matchups that, you know, and I'm not saying you do that to avoid TCU or Baylor Tech or just to stick it to the Big 12 or whatever, but if you want to branch out, there's some really interesting matchups going to the Big Ten and the ACC that you can schedule that I think for not just for your fan base, but I think for college football fans, like you don't think the networks would say, hey, you know, Clemson and Texas in Austin, you know, Labor Day weekend. Is that your Monday night game, your Sunday night game? Right. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. I think I think that's where you're going with that. Yeah. Can it be, you know, your marquee type game? Uh, Cam, I'm going to give you producer's choice on the next cut. What else we got from Sark? I think he had a really interesting response when he was asked about what are the team's roster needs. Now, obviously, the portal is now closed, but I thought this was a really interesting response from Sark asking what was the team's needs after spring ball. I don't know if we necessarily have a need. Um, need. Uh, you know, I, th- there's obviously some luxuries, um, and and again, you, you kind of monitor the portal of what's going on. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more activity in the portal than than what we saw kind of in December and January. Uh, that doesn't mean it's 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 over yet. Just like just like we do exit meetings on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, coming out of our spring game. Those exit meetings are going on around the country as well right now, too. And so uh, I would expect to see maybe a little bit more movement from a portal perspective around the country. Um, if there's something there that, that kind of piques our interest, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it. But we're not actively just, man, we have to get this position filled. I, I feel comfortable with our team that we have right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that we won't we won't explore some things. But um, I, I feel good about where we're at. The the two spots that I was thinking about were off ball linebacker was one just because you wanted some combination of the guys you have other than Jalen Ford to get to a point in the spring where you said okay we don't need to go into the portal to get linebacker help. Uh, and ed- edge is one of the I think edge and, and maybe from a number standpoint tight end would be the only two positions I think that you you could do it if you're Texas. There's a problem with that. They don't have any spots right now. And the fact that there hasn't been uh, any attrition so far other than the four guys that, that entered right off the bat, that tells you to think that guys probably feel like, based on what they were told from Sark in their exit meetings, that they've got a chance to compete for whatever spot they deem is – Keep getting them on an upward trajectory this summer going into camp. That they, their hope is still alive for whatever, wherever they want to be on this roster. Um, now, keep in mind with the portal. The portal is closed. 
so if, if somebody entered, if they got their name into compliance by the close of business Sunday, they can still pop up in the portal today. So if you get to the close of business today and nobody's in the portal, then you'll definitely know at that point, okay, good, done, over with, nobody in the portal for sure. Uh, the, here's the catch, though, and I think this is maybe where you could see some attrition this summer depending on how guys you know, view their status on the depth chart. Grad transfers can go into the portal at any time. Uh, that's a good point. That's the the large exception. So if a, let's say a guy graduates this month and then you know co- comes back for summer conditioning and just realizes you know what I think it's time for me to move on because we've seen that plenty of times, Craig. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. At that point, that would open up a spot, and then you can go into the portal and figure out okay, based on where that guy is, do we need to go into the portal to get depth there? Do one of the can one of the young guys fill that spot? Whatever it is, so not quite completely done with the portal, but you're a few hours away from breaking the tape on that deal and going into the summer by and large with your roster intact yeah uh we got time for maybe a couple more cam Any, anything else top of mind for you yeah kind of piggybacking off the roster needs sark was asked on the pivot podcast um I believe it's now two weeks ago about his team and, and sark had an interesting quote where he said it feels like a, a steve sarkeesian team yeah. he was asked can you expand on that I looked at when we went to build this roster, we had two pods, right? We had a pod of we had a players that we inherited, right? That signed up for something totally different than what we were going to bring um, culturally, schematically, position coaches. So as we as we worked with this pod over here, how were we going to get them to buy into who we are? Who we, who, who we are schematically, offense, defense, special teams, and who we are culturally. And through that time, you have natural attrition. You have players that graduate. You have players that transfer. You have players that leave, you know, that go on to the NFL. Um, and then you have other players that kind of slowly but surely buy into what you're doing. And so now in year three, we've got a group of guys who have been here the entire time that, that we've been here that believe in everything that we're doing. The way we rate weight train, the way we condition, the way we practice, the culture, the the, the camaraderie that, that we have. Uh, so that that's a very positive group. Over here now, I've got a group of young men that I've recruited. And we've now had two consecutive recruiting classes that have solely been our recruiting class whether they've been high school kids or or uh, transfers where inevitably yes there's a there's a physical the physical attributes that they need to fit in criteria for us of what we're looking for as linemen or receivers or safeties but two do they meet the 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 character aspects of what we're looking for to to fit into our culture quickly and I think that we've done a good job here. I think that we've got, done a good job here. And so all of a sudden now, we've got a group of young men that I think are bought into who we are, what we're about. We look the part, right? We look how we want to look. But culturally and, and who we are as a team, I think more importantly, that's what makes me feel good about it. I, I like the, the way we think, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we go about our business, the way we represent the University of Texas, the way we practice, the way we play. Those are all signs signs of things that man this this looks like how i wanted our football team at texas to look craig i, I want to get your take on this because uh, you've seen enough texas coaching regimes now to get a feel for this you think about john makovic's team how it looked his first year in 1992 and then what it looked like in 94 that season before they went on the run winning two conference championships what max team looked like in 98 and then what it looked like in 2000 even charlie in 2014 and then what it looked like in 16 his last year and then for Tom Herman, what it looked like in 17, and then what it looked like in 19 coming off that Sugar Bowl win 
over Georgia. I don't think Sark. I think Sark is on the money because all those examples I just mentioned. You can see those teams. You could see the vision of that coach coming to life with what the roster looked like going into year three. The difference is varying levels of success with all three of those guys. And in Charlie's case, year three was his last year. But, you know, the proof is ultimately going to be in the pudding. It looks like your team. Now it now it's does your philosophy, does your way of roster building, does your vision for the program is that a winning vision? Is that a championship-level vision? And is this the year for Sark where you start to see that? Uh, and, and I also think the, the dynamics have changed a bit. In the prior examples of what you were talking about, uh, John McAvick back in 92, which was my first year in the booth, mm-hmm. in the broadcast booth after I'd uh, been the studio anchor from 88 to 91, uh, it wasn't a complete rebuild, but it was a rebuild. Mm-hmm coming off the five and six and the prior year before that was the shock the nation tour but even that was a stunner that was a one-off there because they'd had a, right. a, a four and seven and a five and six involved in there the uh when mac took over obviously it was coming off of four and seven it was really a rough situation uh there and i i think even though texas went to a bowl game in max last year when charlie started i think folks knew that it was going to be a tear down and, and start up over again and the same thing obviously with tom herman uh, and while it was not a complete teardown and rebuild for Sark, it was getting the caliber of player that he envisions what he needed. And we heard all the talk about the big humans and all that sort of stuff. That that was a big piece of it, a big part you of it. want to win with size inside, yeah. speed outside. And that wasn't always the philosophy of all. Mm-hmm. You know, that, what, I think one of the most misunderstood uh, philosophies in building a football program is the interpretation of the word speed. And, you know, the old uh, Cliff Gustafson thing about speed ain't ever had a bad day. Uh, speed doesn't have a bad day, but if all you have is speed and you don't have size inside, fast enough ain't going to save you mm-hmm. on, that, on that sort of thing. And I, I think that was, that was proven over time. Football's different than, than other sports in that respect. So the building of the programs are better, and that's where your point is coming in, and I agree with you about how Sark has this team much more in the vision for how he projects it going forward, the right combination of size at the right spot and speed in the areas where you have to have it most, and athleticism across the board. This this team, Sark's year three of all those others, really reminds me of Max year three. Because you still had some holdovers from the John McAvick regime, mm-hmm. right? Leonard Davis, mm-hmm. Casey Hampton, mm-hmm. Sean Rogers, NFL caliber players that were still yep. around. And you look at, you know, JT Sanders was a guy mm-hmm. that Sark inherited, and you can go on down the line. But the big difference was you looked at that 99 recruiting class with Rod and Corey Redding and Chris Sims and Bo Scaife and Derek Dockery on top of that 2000 class with Nathan Vasher and Roy Williams and BJ Johnson. You looked at that 2000 roster and you said, man, in in my lifetime following the program, I'm like I haven't seen a roster look like these guys look like guys that are going to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think what what we saw in the spring game that should have been the takeaway. I think that a lot of people had like it's it's been a minute since we've seen guys on the hoof that just and that was the whether it was any of our national guys at 24 seven sports that watched the spring game, any of our guys at CBS that watched the spring game. That was kind of the one consensus takeaway is. It's been a long time since I've seen a Texas roster that looked like this roster looks. Right, and we all understand that nobody's making any statements of uh, being absolute. Uh, we all understand you still have to, like you said, proof is in the pudding. you mm-hmm. got to 
have to prove it on the field. I think we all thought going into 19, Tom Herman was there, right? Yep. But it ultimately, by the end of the deal, we, yeah. then we know what happened. So the the proof is truly there to to be proved. It has to happen. But at least they're better positioned yeah. on that. I heard Bucky and Aaron talking about this morning, I guess, what Vegas is putting Texas at a plus 160 to win the Big 12. They have the highest odds or whatever. Yeah, I'm, gonna admit, I'm totally out of my depth when you're talking about gambling odds yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, that kind of thing. In other words, it, that, that, that's the best odds uh, for that sort of thing. And I don't really pay that much attention to it because it, it's a different game. What, as Brent Musburger is so fond of saying, uh, friends in the desert – it's a different game what they're looking for. They're not necessarily just looking for who the best team is going to be. They're looking at it at a number that's going to drive action one way or the other, whether they truly believe that or not. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's a combination. Yeah, it's uh, I guess it's Caesars, I think, that yeah. has it out. Texas at a plus 180, followed by Oklahoma, TCU. And that's why I say it, it, it can be a measuring tool, a measuring stick of, of the interest on that and, and what it might be. But I don't think it tells the truth, the the full story on that because of the mindset that those people have out there about what their goal and purpose is for what mm-hmm. they want, and that's to drive revenue with both sides of it, action on both sides. That's how they make their money. Cameron, great job, sir. Yeah, thank you for your diligent work. Yeah, thank you good. for everything you've done to your body for this show. <laughs> it's appreciated. Uh, next hour. Uh, like we said, Howard Joffe, Texas women's tennis coach, will join us. Also, we're going to hear from David Pierce next hour uh, following uh, the loss to TCU yesterday. Uh, somebody had a UT pitching with a sad face on it. Yeah, yesterday it was like that. Did you see the first two games? Uh, the ones that Texas, the pitching was, was on par. And they're not a finished product with what they have to do with pitching. So that's why it's the, the one example you point out, absolutely. But there was – you know, solid pitching in game one, especially from Lucas Gordon, and really good pitching in game two, especially from LeBaron Johnson, if you saw that as well. It's kind of, yeah. kind of the scary thing with LBJ and scary, but yeah. I mean, like, if if this is the start of him establishing consistency, then you've definitely got an arm that can win you high leverage games yeah. in the postseason. So, and and that's that's the key. That's the rub, the, the what-ifs going down the rest of the regular season. No midweek game this week. They leave on Thursday for uh, Lawrence, Kansas.